0: So DealQuest listeners, I am so excited to have Brett Hickey, upcoming episode of DealQuest. You know, he and his uh, Star Mountain uh, uh, entity are, you, know, you want to talk about deal experts, people who really understand the market and investing. Brett, what are people going to hear
1: about on your episode of DealQuest? Thanks, Corey. We're going to talk about a lot of different things from a few vantage points of building businesses, finding capital partners. The right type of capital. How to think about investing. How to think about building your business. How to think about finding the right capital partners. And what are some strategic ways in the current market environment that you can capitalize on valuation arbitrages? Fantastic. And you're also going to hear some
0: great stuff about the way he runs, you know, Storm Mountain and its its differentiators, and also some of the charitable give back that he does, which uh, you know really uh, says something about Brad. So uh, check out his episode On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large, complex mergers and acquisitions, to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest podcast. Let's get started. Brett Hickey is the founder and CEO of Star Mountain Capital LLC, a nearly 1.5 billion dollar asset under management, specialized U.S. low and middle market investment firm. Star Mountain employs a data-driven approach to provide value-added debt and equity capital to establish small and medium-sized companies, leveraging its large market expertise, scale-driven resources, and long-standing relationships. He's got over 40 team members, 35 senior advisors. The full bio is going to be in the show notes. So I'm not going to read it all. It's, uh, you know, Brett's got a major, impressive background, serves on a number of boards, both uh, business and nonprofit. And this is something I didn't know about him. He was a former Canadian national gold medalist and North American medalist in speed skating. That's news to me. So, Brett, welcome to the Deal Quest podcast.
1: Thanks, Corey. Yeah, it's cold. It's cold in Canada where I grew up. So skating gave me something to do. Right, right, right. Speed skating, if not, it would have been hockey, right? That's right. Right. And so both I, in that case, I have uh, I have some teeth to prove it. <laughs>
0: I love it. I love it. I love it. So uh, I actually do want to take you back to your childhood because when you were eight, ten, twelve years old, growing up, what did you want to be when you were a little kid? Because my guess is, an investor, you know, running funds and whatever, probably wasn't it. Was it sports? Uh, what was it
1: uh, at that age? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, sports probably would be the key driver. As you may know, Corey, I grew up in a very small town in northwestern Canada of under 10,000 people. My mother had passive cancer when I was very young. My dad was a high school teacher in science, mathematics, and so forth. And so we were very involved in the community, very involved in the outdoors, very involved in sports. And frankly, wasn't a lot of thought into what the future holds other than Sports was more a take it day by day and try to you know win the next event and so forth and was, was fortunate to have fun and do well in that. And with hindsight, I guess that probably helped to build some grit. Love it. And what was the first deal of any
0: type? I'm not talking... It doesn't have to be a major investment deal when you're an adult, maybe something as a kid or anything that comes to mind. The first thing you would consider a deal that you ever did in your life?
1: The first... Maybe if I can restructure the question a little bit the first business activity I ever did was there's two things I can't remember which came first but there was an empty small classroom in the high school that I went to and I approached the principal and I said I have this business idea that I would like to use this classroom for and nobody's using it and I was taking this entrepreneurship class and I said this would help show that the ideas that we're studying in school, we really can implement and was able to convince the school to give me effectively what's free rent to be able to use this little classroom to sell clothing. And then I approached a clothing company to give me clothing on consignment. So (laughs) borrowing clothing and selling it and then paying for it after because I didn't have money to pay for the merchandise up front. So that was my first business venture. The similarly timed one was um, shoveling roofs in Canada. where We had a lot of snow and dangerous to shovel roofs. And young kids, we were uh, not afraid of the danger. And for older people in particular, they really didn't want to. And I ended up having a whole bunch of people working for me where I'd go knock on doors and get the business for us and then take a cut of the other labor of uh, my buddies that would help me shovel roofs. So those are sort of the first two business little related things, nothing financially relevant, but interesting and fun. Love it.
0: And how, how old were you when you did that school? Uh, you know, I look at it as a deal. I mean, listen, you did a consignment deal with the company and you you negotiated a, you know, a free rent deal with the school rental school, agreement. Right? Yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. Yeah. <laughs> you know,
1: the, uh, that's right. It was a, in that capacity, probably 15, 15, 16 years old. Yeah,
0: love it. Love it. I you know, I did something similar. I tell the story sometimes where when I was 15, I used to work for a company delivering flyers door to door, you know, when they were like written supermarket circulars with the ads and that kind of stuff. And uh, I would stop in stores on the way and get my own accounts. And I, I did the same thing. I had my friends and, you know, made a cut above them and they went around delivering the flyers. And uh, I was 15. That was my first business. Um, Great. <laughs> Few hundred dollars a week, uh, you know, and I'm older than you. So you know, this was the '70s, and you know, as a 15 year old kid making 300 bucks a week. That was a heck
1: of a lot of money. <laughs> you know? That's good money, it's right. It's all relative. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Great. So d- give us uh, just a couple of minutes on what Star Mountain does, and then you know, I want to get into your insights on on deals and your background, and how you got into it. But the, you know, g- give us the highlight of what company does.
1: Sure, I built Star Mountain Quarry really to try to bring large market expertise down into the private lower middle market. When I moved to the U.S. to work for Solomons with Barney, then part of Citigroup Global Markets and Investment Banking, we were buying and selling asset managers, buying and selling portfolios of assets and alternative assets and so forth. And that was about 20 years ago. I loved all the resources of the big firm and the insights and the data that we had, the technology and so forth. But I also really loved the inefficiencies of the lower middle market And Star Mountain's goal was really to bridge those things together to build a specialized firm focused exclusively on the lower middle market and its associated challenges and opportunities and doing things like having a team in India, uh, having a full-time technology team, all those kind of things we've built at Star Mountain. And within that, we have 75 people, including our operating partners in over 20 cities across the country As you mentioned, about a billion and a half dollars in assets under management. And we do three things with that capital. First is we provide flexible capital solutions. And what does that jargon mean? It means we have both debt and equity investing capabilities to sit down with business owners, understand their desires, their needs and goals, and figure out how we can come up with the right type of financial solution and structure, as well as human resources and expertise to help them grow their businesses So both debt and equity investing, minority and control equity. The separate division we have access in the same market, but in a different way, is a secondary fund business where we purchase limited partnership interests from people looking for early liquidity Mm -hmm. and their investments in other lower middle market private credit and private equity funds. And across that entire platform, we've had over 400 private company assets in our portfolio since inception and have closed over a hundred separate distinct investments at Star Mountain across that directly where some of those investments we purchased a portfolio and that's how hundred turned into uh, over 400. So that's our business in a nutshell and you know it's an exciting opportunity and, and I'm sure we'll dive a little bit more into where we think there's the most low hanging fruit for business owners and deal makers uh, today. Yeah, absolutely. And before we jump there, just for
0: a lot of our listeners uh, get what you're talking about, some may not. Define for us, when you say lower middle middle market, what size companies are we talking about?
1: Yeah, good question. And I know our industry is fraught with jargon, which makes it uh, difficult. We think of the lower middle market as not two things. One, not a startup, so not the venture capital startup type of world, and also not The more efficient world where you're going to see a Goldman Sachs and a Blackstone participating, for example. So generally, those companies in between the startup phase and between a larger, more efficient market are typically companies that have over 15 million in annual revenue Mm -hmm. and under 30 million in annual EBITDA. I say that very specifically revenue and EBITDA because there are some very fast-growing technology companies, for example, that don't technically make EBITDA because they're reinvesting so aggressively in growth. But they're not a startup anymore. Yet they're not also, you know, a larger capital market type of business. I guess right. outside of maybe unicorns, one might say.
0: And you know, you sort of alluded a little bit to, before to asset managers, things like that. Are there specific industry uh, verticals that you focus in?
1: We do. I'll start with the ones that we don't focus on. So we focus on industries that have positive macroeconomic tailwinds and where we have competitive advantages and sectors that are generally a bit less competitive, perhaps because of complexity or other. So we don't invest in the oil and gas sector, for example, because of the volatility associated. And we don't invest in the real estate sector because of the much more competitive nature of it. What we invest a lot in are technology companies, business services, transportation and logistics, education, healthcare, and within those sectors, as a few examples, we have very deep expertise and operating partners and so forth within all of those sectors. Great.
0: All right, so let's actually jump to the topic that you raised, and then I want to go back after that and talk about you know some of the characteristics of the kind of companies you invest in, and you know how to become attractive to investors like you. But let's talk about the overall market and you know some of the trends that you're seeing. I mean, I just did a um, this is a solo cast where I talked about the explosion of SPACs. Uh, you know, you know, forty five percent of the companies that went public uh, last year were were with uh, SPACs. So that you know, uh, but what are you what are you seeing out there?
1: Yeah, and I think Corey, your comment on SPACs is a good indicator of what I believe, and I don't have a crystal ball, as with everybody else, but I think that there are a lot of bubbles in the market right now. And when you start to see very abnormal dynamics, valuations of companies skyrocketing, valuations of different types of businesses and industries that are much higher risk, having extraordinarily high valuations, the last environment that I recall that was like this was the late 90s. Mm-hmm. And I think that we currently have, from a data-driven approach, a lot of risks and a lot of black swans out there that could cause for you know, another recessionary type of environment and perhaps popping up certain bubbles in cryptocurrencies and certain technology, unicorns that may lose their wings and so forth. Now, there will be a lot of people within those sectors that also make a lot of money, sure. but it's high risk. And look, if you're thinking you might make 10, 20 times your money, I presume you understand the risk that you might lose all your money. And so presumably most people that are in that space understand the, the risk reward and they look at that eyes wide open. But I do think there's a lot of that going on and human nature tends to be a bit of a herd mentality. And so, you know, if you look at mutual funds, for example, you see that most investors make substantially lower returns than a mutual fund does or any fund because they're buying in and out of the fund. Yes. Right. So when things are going up, they feel good. They feel strong. They put money in. Things start to come down. They get scared. They pull their money out. And this is systematic. It's data driven. It's an extraordinarily high percentage of time it happens, and there's good data on that over across decades. So I would presume right now that given where valuations are, there are a lot of things that could happen that could result in the market and a lot of sectors dropping. Now, some other things that uh, on maybe a more perhaps positive note that we're seeing is that We have an aging demographic, as everybody knows, and the valuation arbitrage between smaller private companies and larger businesses is perhaps larger than it's ever been. And I think SPACs are a great example where you're taking private companies, effectively reverse merging them into a public shell, the private business owners often giving up about 20% of their ownership to be able to quickly go public at often a very high valuation that makes giving up that 20% stake of their company to accomplish that a worthwhile endeavor. Now, a traditional IPO is not without cost and friction as well. So it's not like zero or 20 is the right comparison, but nonetheless, it's a big amount that a business owner gives. And I think that just showcases a good example of the valuations in the public markets and the larger private equity space are at all time highs right now. And so if you can find two or three good quality, smaller private businesses that let's say each have 5 million of EBITDA, and you can consolidate them in an effective and efficient manner, which is easier said than done for a lot of reasons from customers to clients to team and so forth. But if you can do things like that, you can often create a pretty substantial valuation arbitrage simply by growing your company larger, being able to access more debt, lower cost debt, more equity types of investors that gives you a higher valuation. And with the retiring demographic that we have today, which is older than it's ever been, overlaid with the approximate 200,000 private businesses in the lower middle market, that's a really big opportunity set for the next five or so years that uh, I presume, um, you know, you will be helping many people capitalize on.
0: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in an overheated market. I'm always fascinated, you know, I've been quoted in various press, I've talked about it on the podcast, you know, about the conversation of deal discipline, right? And, you know, I'm really curious because somebody like you who raises a fund, you know, there's always some pressure. I'm saying generally, I'm not talking about you, right? But generally, for people like you, who raise funds. There's always some pressure to deploy capital, right? People who are investing in funds are looking not to, you know, have their money sit and earn, a, you know, earn an interest rate. They're looking to get it invested in, in quality companies that are going to give them bigger returns than they can get in safer investments, right? And obviously, in overheated markets, and and you know, obviously, I mean, when one answer is always, hey, if you pick right sectors, you know, not everything's overheated. But you know, there's that pressure to deploy capital versus, and and some people end up doing bad deals in that, you know, in those environments. You know, any thoughts on that, and how you maybe, you know, try to resist that pressure,
1: or, or do you have it to deploy capital? You know, and it's a great question, and I think it's also one, Corey, that's worth worth dissecting on a couple different angles. So one is. A lot of people wonder well gee how can so many people think about all the money in the markets and if valuations are high why are so many people in if you're a let's say a wealth manager and you're managing money for a lot of people that you know pick your name of a large bank or so forth it is really hard to time the markets and in fact generally speaking uh, history shows you you really shouldn't even try to time the markets Therefore, because it is often the right thing to do, and because it is so hard to time the markets, that a lot of the capital in this world is just going to stay invested. Yes. And when you think about that dynamic, it makes it hard to have basic supply-demand economics result in a lot of people pulling out of the market, which would drive prices down, until Things get really challenged and then you see that like we saw uh, last year where the market dropped about 35% in a few weeks and you saw it in 2008, 2001, last couple of recessions. But I think that it's worthwhile just understanding that dynamic that a lot of people have to keep their capital invested. And in many cases, even if it's frothy, that's still the right decision because you're going to hopefully be also staying in the market when valuations are better. Now let's go deeper into the alternative investment market private funds that don't have to stay invested. And for firms like like Dalikus Star Mound, that doesn't have to stay invested, some of the strategies that we deploy are really focused around simple premise. I always like to say I'm a simple Canadian, help me understand how the puck gets from here to there and help me understand how you're motivated for the puck to go in that net. And alignment of interest is critical. So one of the things that we always think a lot of within the culture of our firm is that we're 100% employee-owned. 100% of our employees share in the carried interest profits of our investing. And 100% of our senior team and deal team for the senior team have personal capital invested in all of our deals. And so when you do want to make investments, because if you don't make any investments, you have zero chance of profit. So you do have to make investments at some point, you want to make sure that your funds are structured appropriately relative to the amount of capital you have, the market opportunities, and the amount of time that you have. So if you have multiple years to put your money to work, you can be more selective in looking for the right opportunities, looking for the right value, and then if you ensure that your team is highly aligned with putting their own capital at risk, then I believe that they are less likely to search for aggressive risk just to put money to work because when they're putting money to work, you want them thinking as a principle to say, what if there's a problem? How am I going to solve it? Could I lose my own money? And I think that principal mentality is critical. And it's one that is harder to find in the larger firms in general, where people tend to be more employees than partners. And that's what I think is one of the things that has assisted the alternative investment industry in producing alpha or excess return over comparable risk markets and also, one of the things that I believe attracts investors to platforms that have strong alignment of interest where everybody's you know, really rowing in the same direction. So yeah. I think those are some of the key factors and some of the key things also for people to look for is really focused on alignment and appropriateness of capital, market size, team size, focus and discipline of the team as well.
0: Yeah, love that answer. It really makes sense. When you're making your investment decisions, right? You know, in addition to obviously valuations, in addition to, you know, having it be sectors, you know, all that kind of stuff, obviously every investor talks about management, right? And many of them will say management, you know, the team is you know sometimes even more important than the, than the idea, you know, at an extreme. Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreycupfer.com slash assessment. That's coreycupfer.com slash assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. You know, than those things, what are some of the other things that people don't automatically think about that distinguish a company for you as, uh, you know, a company you'd like to invest in versus one that doesn't, you know, make that impression, because I'm sure you get inundated with deal opportunities and only, you know, do a very small percentage of,
1: you know. Of- yeah, no, it's a good point, uh, Corey, and, and we're continuing to grow our team. We recently opened up a uh, Dallas office, Denver offices, and continue to expand so that we can add more value to more businesses across the country, because there are, Many more great businesses that we'd love to invest in and business owners we'd love to back and partner with, and then we have the capacity to invest with, but we're continuing to chip away at that. Uh, Last year, for context, we looked at approximately 1,500 investment opportunities, and we invested in approximately 30 of them. Now, some of those, as I say, just don't fit our focus, such as the oil and gas sector or companies that are too small or something of that nature. The things that we like to now answer that part of the question, let's take a bit of a top-down approach just for some framework so people can visualize this a little bit. Uh, Recognizing to podcasts, let's just try to form a visual. I like to say you want to start with a business plan that has the highest probability of success as possible. So think about the industry The sector, the competitiveness of the industry, whatever the service or services, products or products the business is offering, we really start with that. If that doesn't make sense, the rest of it really doesn't matter that much or it has a lot of risk associated. If that makes sense and you've got the right thematic tailwinds to the industry, then you get into the competitive positioning of the business and make sure you're understanding the competitive dynamics. As you drill down deeper, you start to get into the quality of the team, the alignment of the team, the diversity and the quality of the customer base, the types of contracts you have with the customers, right? All as equal. You want the strongest and most sustainable customers possible, the most diversified customer base possible. You want the longest term contracts possible. All of those things at the end of the day, it's all about what is the predictability of revenue occurring right. and what could put your revenue at risk? because if you can keep revenue going, revenue solves a lot of problems. It allows you to work through challenges, operational inefficiencies and so forth, and just like myself and and yourself, Corey, none of us are perfect, no businesses are perfect, but if you can keep the revenue rolling, and you keep your balance sheet prudent meaning not too much debt and you have the right capital partners and team and people that can help support you through challenges and that right aligned team to work through those challenges i then think of it as ideally a and let's call it an s-shaped hockey stick it was recently uh, wayne gretzky's birthday for those of you that are hockey fans and he used to say it's where the puck is going not where it's coming from and if you think about the hockey stick up and to the right, it's not a straight line. As you know, Corey, it's really an S shape. And I think that the businesses that create the most value in the most high probability manner possible, meaning not luck-oriented, but probabilistic outcomes, it's the businesses that are best geared to mitigate the challenges, which is the bottom of your S curve, and then capitalize on the opportunities, which is the top of your S curve. And if you can keep doing those things systematically and repeatably, you generally will create a lot of long term value. Then we get into some other things. I think culture and whatnot, which is part of team, really does matter a lot. And I think it matters even more today and in today's generation yes. than it ever has before. Yes. Great.
0: So, you know, one of the things I was interested in is. And you know, and when I have clients who are evaluating, you know, if they do have multiple options on, you know, where to raise capital, and you know, the good, the good companies usually do, you know, is how they choose who the right investment partners are, and you know, at a at a very you know elementary level, right? There's the conversation of dumb money and smart money, and you know, strategic money, and and what else comes with the money, right? You know, I've had some. Uh, uh, I think we, we did a best of fi- actually best of financing episode a few episodes ago, and uh, one of my early guests, Niles Haran, who. Uh, He's not in the business like you are but you know he's a guy that's raised capital for some businesses he's consulted people on raising capital one of the things that he says uh and we were even talking it in terms of entrepreneurs generally and also he's african-americans who were talking about entrepreneurs of color and you know how they have you know generally less access to capital and he said yeah listen all of that's true and there's some of the need to fix but his view is here's the bottom line a company that just needs to raise money will raise money he says too often people think what they need is money And really, they got a problem with their product, they got a problem with their team, they got a problem with their marketing, you know. So a lot of these companies actually need some additional strategic help. You know, your input on thoughts and and you know, and just give us also a little bit about you know what you guys bring in addition to money.
1: Yeah, I think that everybody says it, right? Like this isn't anything new, but I think it's really important. I'll try to bring some context, I guess, from a different angle that'll hopefully resonate. But everybody in life says it's not just money. I always like to tell people, bring it into a framework that you understand. So whether it's your marriage partner in life, and you think about what are the attributes of your spouse, whether you think about a business partner or hiring somebody, right? There's a big difference between hiring a first-year analyst and a 20-year veteran managing director. There's a difference in what you're going to pay them. And you may get way more value out of the one you pay more to right? Maybe your managing director creates a 4X return for you and your analyst, you know, a 1X return for you, right? As far as return on the the money that you're spending on them. So it's not just simply the cost. You really have to think about what are they bringing you, just like any relationship in life, any employee, any partnership that's no different. And so I think one of the things that you said, Corey, which is really important is step one is businesses need to reflect on their own relative strengths and weaknesses and what they believe the market opportunity might be. And then I think when they meet with different financing partners like a Star Mountain is one is culture, but before getting to culture, it's like businesses and how we look at analyze businesses, finding the right partners that have the right experience, capabilities and expertise that are ideally specialized and focused on Understanding your industry, your business, and your situational needs. Let me give an example we did. We sat down with a second generation family, and they said, you know, we're trying to figure out, you know, what to do next, where to take the business, and so forth. And as we dissected their business, we said, well, one of your verticals is servicing the healthcare space. And it's really what we would call a telehealth business. And this telehealth business is an extremely fast-growing high-valued revenue versus even a multiple type of business. This really should be a separate standalone business. Let's look at what your infrastructure is like, the market opportunity, and ultimately with them, decided to structure that as a drop-down wholly-owned subsidiary, bring in a separate board, bring in separate capitalization, and really build two companies out of one, and then help really take both those businesses to the next level. So that's an example of what I think people should look for is folks that will sit down and listen, think, do their research, help them come up with a game plan. And then you come up with the right capital structure for that game plan. And if you do that right, the extra couple points of interest on debt or the little bit of difference in equity valuation is negligible. It's really about the value you can create together and creating that value in the highest probability possible. And whether you look at a Blackstone as a firm or an Amazon or really any type of company, if you create tremendous success, everybody does really well. But for every great idea, right, there's a thousand failures and one success. The key is make sure you're a success. At least my view in life I'm willing to give up some of the volatility in my potential financial return of my own business by having a stronger, more aligned team. And even, for example, at Star Mountain, just to, I guess, eat my own cooking, I give equity to 100% of my employees. They share in the profits of our investing. I'm not a forced to. I don't have to. I want them aligned. I want them focused. And I think that will actually help make me and you know our shareholders more money long term. And I also believe it will further mitigate risks along the way. Now, you could be more selfish, more greedy, and maybe that way makes you more money. But I think the probabilities are lower and the risk is higher. And so I think that that is really key, the right strategic thinking, and then the right culture, and then creating the right aligned partnership and structure to move forward with. I love it. So listen, we could speak for hours, but we won't. Uh,
0: we both have other things that we need to do. And obviously, so, uh, and you know, maybe we'll get you back on at some point. But uh, so let's finish up with two quick things. You know, One is if people want to find out more about you and Star Mountain, what's the best place for them to go?
1: Yeah, thanks, Corey. Feel free to email info at starmountaincapital.com. You can go to our website, starmountaincapital.com. We have a YouTube channel with a lot of content, Star Mountain Capital, within YouTube, Our LinkedIn page has a lot of content in a, and we have a media section on our website as well in a non COVID world, which I hope we are trending towards (laughs) we uh, historically keynote spoke or hosted approximately 100 events per year across the country, really neat events with business owners, sports team owners, and bringing in a lot of things from the communities we're a part of to really create some interesting content and collaboration for the lower middle market community in general. So hopefully we'll get back to doing that. And that's always a great way to engage because then you get to meet with us as well as other people. And, and we're not charging for these things or anything, though it is a curated invitation only event system. So people just has to be the right people together. So feel free to email us about that. Great, fantastic. And my final
0: question, always on the podcast, is about my highest value in life, which is freedom. And for me, freedom means you know freedom from everything from freedom from all people around the world, from oppression and discrimination to the reason I'm an entrepreneur and run my own, my own business. Right.
1: (laughs) you know, what does freedom mean to you and your business and life? And uh, you know, does it apply? That's a great question. I think, I guess on a related note, I think of being happy and spending your time with positive stress, positive stress around good ways to grow your business, ways to, improve and grow your family, ways to work with your partnership and mitigating and avoiding negative stresses, whether they're health related or you know war related, safety related, whatever it might be. And I think for all of us to help have better lives that way and be thankful for the communities and world that we're blessed to live in, that we should all be giving back. So Star Mountain has a charitable foundation nonprofit that I started. Uh, many years ago, one of the things to use the word safety that we support are veterans. I was not a vet myself, but what I recognize is that former Olympic athletes, and I was on the Olympic training team in Canada for speed skating, that a lot of Olympic athletes really struggle to transition into their, I'll call it financial career in life. I was fortunate that I knew up front there was no money in speed skating. <laughs> and so had my plan B uh, activated early on. But a lot of people don't. And what I later learned is that that's similar for veterans. And boy, are we ever thankful for the people and not just veterans, as we see the teachers, the nurses, the doctors, the service people, all the people at the end of the day that allow our lives to function, be fluid, and do what we do and live in safety. I just think everybody should give back. You know, one small local example here. In Greenwich is when I joined the board of the YMCA. You know, the YMCAs are fantastic organizations. They give people in the community a way to focus on health, safety, mental, physical, health, well-being, education, and organizations like that. I just, I just can't speak enough for how great they are for the community, for the safety. So I always tell people that we should all always do something philanthropically. Um, I grew up with no money. And when I was in college, I used to drive a guy uh, to and from his cancer treatment. So my impact was very little. It was one person that I drove. Well, well it was very stage.
0: large on one person. It wasn't right. Well, but that's,
1: but that's <laughs> yeah. right. And if we yeah. all do something, it all adds up, right? All snowflakes build a snowball. And so thank you for asking that, Corinne. And I do uh, hope we can all, I know I always can do more and I'm always trying to think of ways, but I think if we all at least all do something, then we really create a better society for everybody. Love it. Brett Hickey, thank you so much for being a great guest on the Deal Quest podcast. Thanks a lot, Corey. Wish everybody well.
0: Thank you for joining me on this episode of DealQuest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth you will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Cupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.